So this is from the diary of Don Powell, January of 1954, as she's putting the finishing touches on the Wicked Pavilion. Um, Hemingway and wife lost an Africa plane crash near Murchison Falls. I thought of his bravery and bold facing danger in which he always comes out okay, but someone else gets hurt. By Monday, they were found and his sails had another jolt upward. I have a hunch that Hemingway has muffed his death just as Marius does in the novel. The great to-do and raving praises always given the dead, but perhaps his real death will be unmarked, unnoticed. I tried once again to read Farewell to Arms and it seems as clumsily written as ever to me, wooden like Walter Scott, difficult reading, pigeon English. so far as to say that's savagely perceptive man yeah isn't it yeah. very good yeah with the exception of i would say hemingway didn't muff his own death he actually you know yeah it was memorable sad but he did shoot himself in the face so yeah. that is did is that so that's her that's her Diary. Diary. Okay. So written for it was published later, not you know written for publication. Um, Hemingway is actually nice to her, ish. She he wrote kind things about her. Um, but yeah, that's kind of kind of perceptive. It's it's um yeah it's she has an opinion, and I think uh, and we'll talk about that because today we're going to be talking about uh, the Wicked Pavilion book she mentions there in their diary um it's not just an opinion it's like a, it's a it's pretty insightful it is insightful like him always doing brave bold things where somebody else gets hurt and he's there to chronicle it just kind of that type of macho image he's created for himself just kind of slyly cutting into it her diary is fun it's full of all sorts of that thing she ran with an interesting crowd um how does it compare to your diary? Oh, it's better. Okay, it's better. Yeah, well, she actually keeps one. She's a better writer than me, too. Hey, don't sell yourself short. We'll start out with this. She's a better writer than, than most. She deserves to be uh, up there with, like, Mark Twain. Well, let's just get into it, because I think she would criticize this intro and just say we're... F- we're uh, flapping about, not doing anything. So, without further ado, welcome to There Will Be Books, a podcast about books. And today, Don Powell's The Wicked Pavilion. I'm Peter, joined as always by Matt. Matt, this is an author you've been telling me to read for quite some time. Mm-hmm. You described her as funny. Um, that's kind of the main, I think you had other, you know, descriptive terms for her, or, you know, kind of writing or the setting takes place. But I just thought in my head, I was like, oh, she's kind of a comedy, you know, comedic. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. Book yeah. of manners, you know, maybe some, you know, funny situations, some absurd characters, some, you know, you know, some smart observations. But that, that was my expectations going into this. And I was blown away. It is much more than that. 
the the reason why I use savagely perceptive that's how um, James Mustich, who has this great uh, reference book called The Thousand Books You Need to Read, um, and the Wicked Pavilion is is in there, and that's how he kind of mm-hmm. describes her writing in general. Uh, and I wholeheartedly mm-hmm. agree. Yeah. It it's not only perceptive, but it's so well written. It's so smart. Mm-hmm. It's so I don't know. It 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 just it succeeds on so many levels. And I knew within the first 15 pages that I, that I was going to really, really like this book. Yeah. And it yeah. Didn't, didn't let me down. Yeah. I mean, you can tell, you can tell it's just a good writer. It's, it's, is what I like literature to be. Mm-hmm. Kind of so, a little background on Don Powell. A little history. Um, Like I said, this book was published in 1954. She wrote a handful of quite a few novels. Um, There was this one thing I saw um, in 1940 in a New York Times article. They were talking to her. And she wasn't really all that successful. And at this point, she says um, she she kind of joked that she should write duller books. Uh, There's such there's so great a premium on dullness she 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 remarked uh and i think that shows up in this book there's sort of um kind of that critique not maybe not outwardly critique but this is not a dull book these aren't dull characters this isn't navel gazing that she's not you know if her critique of Hemingway's, he's sort of just writing about himself don powell just writes about a large cast of characters who are each interesting, different, have different motivations. She critiques them, but also kind of works to understand them. She's not, yeah. it's, not it's not so much of a, you know, black or white, oh, this person's bad. It's, um, she takes on comedy, which most, you know, kind of literature kind of veers away from, probably yeah. because they're not funny and probably because they can't pull it off because it's, it's something yeah. difficult. But Don Powell pulls it off. Um, when she dies in 1965, many of her novels are out of print. She's buried in an unmarked grave. And it is not until kind of like the late 80s, early 90s that her work starts to come around again. Mm-hmm. Gore Vidal was a huge champion of her. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he said he, he, he called her a better satirist than Mark Twain. There's an art critic. Um, let me see here. Tim Page yeah, yeah. Uh, was very instrumental in getting Powell's work back into sort of the public domain. He's the editor of the diary. Okay. From, that's the guy, yeah. And, you know, today you can get, you know, the, um, what is it, the Library of America volume of her book. I think that's what you, you have. Get two volumes of those. And I think that she wrote 16, and I think a good amount of there, yeah, and you can buy. There's a. I have uh, an edition from Steer, Steer Fourth Press, and they kind of have these colorful um, editions. There's a hand. I have another one, um, A Time to Be Born. But you you can find your work again. But for a while, you, yeah. you really couldn't find your work. And, and when you read, and you when you read this book, you're like, how does that happen? How does someone so good just it's i don't know it go out of print yeah go it's out amazing. go it's, out of print yeah 
and you're reading this and this came out in 1954 and she would she would keep writing it wasn't like she this is you know like her one book and she didn't um you know kind of disappeared or whatever i don't know it's just funny how the the you know the canon works i guess because she should be taught yeah. in schools is what, what i gets, yeah and yeah what gets lauded and what kind of falls away what can't catch on she would complain about how people don't know how to market her yeah and that's true she was right it's true they didn't i have a paperback edition from the 50s of the wicked pavilion and it's just got uh, it's, it looks like a romance cover it's a guy and a girl kind it's of all that, yeah. it's like that's not that's a, the worst way to kind of market this um it, it's I, i'm trying to think of how ways to describe it it's i think it's what you kind of what people want going into what they want a movable feast to be mm -hmm. kind of what you like about uh is it the sun also rises you know those those yeah. kind of uh people want you know all those writers hanging out in paris or that sort of milieu to kind of lo look into that that circle and those people and to have a funny book that kind of gets into it that's what her new york novels are so just a quick recap the wicked pavilion um it has a, a plot, but I wouldn't say it's like the most classic plot. It's it's a story um, centered on the Cafe Julian in New York City. And I think it takes place in 1948 in sort of this bohemian time. Mm -hmm. um, and it centers around a, a cast of characters. Some are painters. Uh, there's a writer. There's kind of some, there's a two lovers. There's kind of the, the wait staff and their peculiar kind of they don't want like mm -hmm. guests or something like and then there's kind of like um uh some like matrons and and you know like there's a, a a model slash escort ish just a pretty lady who a lady of, on the up yeah, maybe, you know socialite who's yeah, kind of socialite yeah and then her like wealthy you call her a dilettante kind of older friend who yes. and they both and it's kind of uh pal's very good about their relationship they like why they like each other, why they get along, you know, because they're Jerry. Jerry is the model's name, and Elsie is the dilettante is the best word. She's a older, wealthy woman who likes to kind of always it has attention from interesting, wealthy yeah. people, and they and, and they're kind of back and forth. Um, and Elsie's brother Wharton who's kind of a nervous old rich man, or not old, but a, a nervous wealthy person in his 50s. A pretty, that's a pretty funny character, pretty well drawn. And it's all these kind of people. The, the common thread is the Cafe Julian. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we go off and follow them. But it's kind of a series of not quite short stories, vignettes, would you call them? Vignettes, set pieces. They're, set pieces. They have a, yeah. they have a, they have an arc. Um, but it, she kind of hops between the stories. Um, it's not one person's story necessarily. I want to even say the Cafe Julian. If you're expecting it to be like this, this vote, the you know this the, the kind of the main place where everything happens, it's that's not necessarily no, no. true. It happens in dining rooms and kind of um, people's you know not in the sort of place you would think would happen but that's just they've all frequented there yes here's, here's what she said about it actually right below the the hemingway quote 
said, in collating this novel, I wanted a fan-like picture, closed, open slightly to hint at more, then wide with each section, a complete picture, yet all fitting rhythmically together. That's kind of glimpses into people, into their lives. Here's what's going on now. It's, she's very smart. She, I think one of the trickier things with, um, authors have to navigate is sort of, you know, getting close to the characters and drawing back out and doing broad strokes and then being very close to the characters and saying, you know, this is sort of the, it, and the pacing never suffers from that. She, you could tell she's, she's a very experienced writer um, when this mm -hmm. book is, is published. There's a couple of books before that, but is this is someone who knows what they're doing and is confident um and it's just what i was surprised about it you know sometimes not not that a book like this you know with the prose would be bad but this is just like for me personally the the, the writing and the prose in this is just outstanding it's so mm -hmm. smart it's funny but it's not it's not a one note book there's so it's sort of sad in parts it's absurd it has something to say about class and society and people um, but it's not like heavy handed in any sense. It's just, it's good writing with interesting characters. Um, it's, it's what happens when it, a funny, wise person looks out onto the world and is just reporting back what she sees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. So I'll, I'll bring this up now. He, um, in his, one of his essays about Don Pal Gorbidal talked about her views on literature. Um, and sh she thought she wrote in the vein of what she called Petronian satire. Um, and she said there were two types of prose, like mm -hmm. Petronian satire and realism. Uh, satire is the technical word for writing people as they are. Romantic, the other extreme of people as they are to themselves both of these are the truth. The ability to put in motive is called satire. The ability to put in vision is romanticism. Okay. Right. So <clears throat> in a romantic story, like the, the, the two characters in here, uh, the lovers, what's their name? Rick, Rick, Rick and Eleonora. Rick and Eleonora would get together and there'd be the swelling of music at the end when they finally get together. And here it's just kind of, you know, these two people like each other, but they're kind of their pride or their stubbornness kind of keeps them from getting together. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, when they finally do kind of get together, you're not left with the impression that it's going to be smooth sailing. Yeah. But yeah. I, I have a passage kind of, I want, I have a lot of passages that I kind of want to read to like highlight this point yeah. where I say like how smart and just, okay, these are the situations she puts the characters in. But then she she adds her her commentary to that. Yeah. So we have two characters, Rick and Eleanor, and they ha kind of have this relationship where they it's very limited, it's very like quick and brief, and then they get separated. And this is kind of the, in the beginning of the book when they're, the, they're she's first describing their relationship. And she goes very likely the reason she represented this fictional legendary Manhattan to him 
was that they had spent too many hours in one spot postponing going someplace else until what they had not seen together was more real than what they had. And that's a very smart, she's described their, you know, why they're something about this, these people that I feel like is very true. Like, you know, they, they get stuck in this one place and they kind of imagine everything else that they'll, that they'll go to do or whatever. And there's just, page after page of this book it's just observations like that about these characters where like oh that's smart and then but it's not all one type of characters you know we have the kind of the quote you read where she her one character marius like has died and his artwork has mm-hmm. you know risen in value that's sort of the, i would say the main humorous plot line of the book um yeah Two, two of the authors that knew this this author that now becomes famous because he's he's dead um, kind of get introduced Dazzle Sloan and um, yeah they're, they're all painters and the painter died yes and then all of a sudden because he died it like ratcheted up the value of his works and all these the artistic community and all the critics come in and start lauding him as like unique and one of a kind and we kind of find out the two other friends who are alive have been forging his work and taking advantage of the fact that the prices are so high, you know, they're kind of starving, struggling artists. And so this guy is, you know, lauded after his death is one of a kind. His two friends can like forge no problem. Yeah. And that's, that's a, you know, funny scenario. I mean, it's a book about a lot of people being afraid to a failure I wouldn't say anyone's like successful. This isn't a book about highly successful people. Uh, you know, they may, they're striving for that. I think they're oftentimes afraid. And I think that's a smart observation about, you know, you can't fail unless you try kind of thing, which is a saying. Um, at one point, she's describing the cafe. And the cafe is kind of like early on, she sets, you know, what's the importance of the cafe? She goes, the cafe was a sort of union station where they might loiter missing trains and boats as they liked, postponing the final decision to go anyplace or do anything until there was no longer need for decision. One came here because one couldn't decide where to dine, whom to telephone, what to do. And that, I, I don't know, I just, I don't know for you, but like, that's just smart, very insightful writing about here's my she could just say oh this is a cafe and you know here are the characters but she does a lot more than that it's a lot more i don't know it's smarter than there's, there's books you'll come across I, I would say there's depth in what she has to say yeah and, and her just sitting back and observing people is more entertaining than you know, and it's most writers with a plot and she doesn't say it necessarily, but it's, it's sort of sad. It's like a, these people's lives in some ways is sad and, and it's, you know, comedic in, in certain ways you laugh, but you're also. There are sad parts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like I, I said before, it's, it's not one note. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. She's not just doing, I'm doing, I'm doing funny. And she's, yeah. she's definitely not doing, I'm just doing sad. Um, she's, she's, not, she's painting. Yes. She's painting life sports and all in a in a funny way in a satirical way mm-hmm. and this jumped out at me i'm talking about elsie kind of rich dilettante um elsie congratulated herself on providing herself with such juicy nourishments for she had devoured most of her old friends her enthusiasms were thinning out and she had reached a time of life 
when the zest for adventure properly takes itself out in belaboring a daughter-in-law, ruining a grandchild, or defending a worthless son. Well, she has none of those, so she yeah. kind of messes with her friend Jerry, almost like subconsciously. She's just kind of bored and rich, and so she grew up in that milieu and it's kind of spoiled. And so she just kind of likes to wreak a little bit of havoc everywhere she goes and get a rise out of people. Do you think, I have the feeling that Don Paul Powell may have like known, you know, there's probably like six or seven handful of like characters, main characters in this novel. Do you think she had someone in mind for each of these people? Because I, yeah. I asked that because I don't know if, I think I read some of her, her alter ego. There's a character, Dennis Orphan, who- I saw that. A, but I, don't, yeah. but it, I, I think we talked about this before the podcast where it would be very easy for the, the author of this kind of book to interject themselves into this story. Yeah. Like clearly, okay, like if, maybe if Hemingway wrote this, there would be a Hemingway-esque person. Or, or you know character. Yeah, right. Robert Jordan type uh, yeah. yeah but it's it's and even like let's say it's written today like by a very famous contemporary author and they you know we've talked about this before where a lot of times it's auto fiction or whatever mm-hmm. I don't think that the book would be as perceptive of other people and other people's Whoa. kind of worldviews and I don't know. Just like the motivations. Yeah, well, it's not like most modern fiction. We kind of talked about this too. But most modern fiction is kind of the the stuff that gets lauded. I realize there's a lot out there and we can't read it all, you know, so. Uh, But most modern fiction I read, most of the stuff that gets kind of lauded as being brilliant and like, you know, on the cutting edge of what's possible in the novel is actually kind of boring and moralistic. And reading this kind of brought home, like, especially compared to a couple of the last few modern type things that we've read. It's like, man, there's no, one of the things that made me think about, especially with like the Topeka school and other stuff like that, was like, there's no heavy handed moralizing, you know, it's just, here's, here's the world. Here are these people as they are. And a lot of modern fiction it's just from the perspective of a stand-in from the author and they go about kind of wringing their hands about like anything that happens has to have a judgment on it. And the yeah. author has to tell us through the character that is a reflection of themselves, yeah. this is bad. I'm worried that these people are bad. The state of the world is just so bad. And they're just kind of beating, like beating. They're, they're humorless. They have no. Humorless scolds, yeah. you know, rather than looking outward and describing the world and what you see, which is what, which yeah. is what a writer should be. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of changed. And I don't, I mean, I'm, you know, there's moralistic scolds in every age and I'm sure there were back then. Maybe that's a part of why she never caught on it, even though she deserved to. Yeah. As people don't like having a mirror up in their face, like, Hey, here's what you look like warts and all. Yeah. Jarring. But the discrepancy between a, a lot of contemporary literary fiction and uh, yeah, and this is is pretty staggering. It's like uh, you ever have a tomato from like a garden, like a fresh garden tomato, and then compare it to a store bought one. Yes, huge, 
huge difference and you don't really realize it until you have like a, a fresh one. Very good point. Um, I, I want to get into some of the humor in this book because she's incredibly funny. Um, mm-hmm. So in the first the first part of the book, she sets up this Elsie is this older like trying to befriend Jerry. These two, they're both kind of trying to get something out of each other. Um, and you learn that Elsie has his brother Wharton, who's sort of this uh, socialite in Boston kind of guy, and they don't like each other. And you kind of get hints and you get some background between the two cut to beginning of part two. This is how part two starts. Wharton Hookley, who's the brother of Elsie had the most profound admiration for his sister, Elsie's incorruptible character. And he often dreamed of the monuments and even scholarships he would institute in, in the name when, wait, hold on. He would institute in her name when she died. And then a little bit later, but the trouble was Elsie never would die. So you, she, he, she sets that up perfectly. She introduced, okay, there's some tension. And then the first thing is a very pointed comedic element or, you know, kind of these two characters. Warren's is kind of like. Stiff kind of, upper crest Puritan. Yes, with a, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like there's some comedic elements to his plot line, but I just thought, okay, so she sets up this character and then you first see Wharton and this is his description. You know, he doesn't really like his sister, but he would like to have all these monuments and institutions named after her. Problem is she won't die. And yeah. then their story goes from there kind of. And He's a thorn in his side while she is alive. Yeah. yeah. There's a great scene when they're recording. So Marius um, painter, I think he's died and they want to have this recording of everyone saying things. But then people get yeah. upset because certain thing gets recorded that they wish hadn't been recorded, and this they haven't whole... figured out the sound, and they they pick up background noise. Yes, and like people gossiping about each other. She's pretty. It's a pretty like um, pointed critique of the art world and how ridiculous it is. Yeah, yeah. Because um, spo- spoiler alert, uh, do you think we can say Marius is? Oh yeah, you kind of see it coming. Yeah, he's not actually dead. Yeah. Um, he's it's faked his death. Um, his two friends were selling their own artwork as his. And, and he was turning around and having his wife, his third or fourth ex-wife, yeah. whatever, he, you know, he went through a slew of, of wives. But one of his, his, his wife, he was currently hiding out in an old farm on the country somewhere. And she was selling his newer stuff as old yeah. stuff she had found. And his friends figured out like, oh, this brewery burnt down. Yeah. You know, but it's, you know, it's in his pain. They figured out the timeline was off. And so there's, you know, all that sort of thing. It's a very rich, mm-hmm. I want to say dense, but that's not dense in a bad way. There's just a lot happening on each page. You know what I mean? Like rich. Yeah. Full of, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's not dull. You know, like in that quote I read at the very beginning, she was, you know, maybe if I wrote dull novels where people were just, um, I saw some like early on critique that they thought she hopped around too too much to maybe had she had too many characters, but I just think that's I don't really think that's I don't know that doesn't hold up for me because it early critique yeah if it was just a novel about let's say the first two characters you meet um, Rick and uh, Eleanor and it's their love story and it's just kind of this one note type thing with you know I don't know but the fact I that you what she means by a dull novel. You know, just a romance between two people. Yeah. 
I think that would be boring. Yeah. I don't know if, if I want to read more of her, but I don't know if that sort of conventional novel at there's one part at the very end, she has this kind of secondary character Briggs. Who's like an, a, a writer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you picked this up. Um, he meets this like novelist and it's this kind of very, I thought very like pointed. This is Don Powell talking to us, the reader about what she thinks like a novelist is. Let's see here. So this Briggs guy has met this novelist and says, um, he was staring at the young novelist, wondering what it felt like to have your name on a fat book and have people talking about it as if it meant something. The novel had worried him because the author's method wasn't like his own. Instead of building his characters on a sensible economic structure, this fellow built them on what they had to eat and drink from the breast right through um, Grand Central Oyster Bar. Whenever they elected to eat was evidently supposed to mean something about their hidden natures, which I yeah. think is very, like a very like, yeah, it funny. poking yeah. fun at like, oh, you eat, you know, you eat soup for it. And they, yeah. yeah the soup you eat symbolizes something about your character. Yeah, yeah, she's spoken fun of that. Time. And then it goes on, even their retching was recorded and it didn't indicate that they had bad oyster, but that meant that they were having an emotional crisis. and then it goes on it goes uh it she says these books um go through the people's boarding schools and colleges and all ivy league no matter how poor they talk and briggs having worked his way through a minor university was irritated at having to work his way again through these fictional characters education (laughs) like think about like books even today a lot of books you know 1950s thing are about like the education of some mm-hmm. wealthy upper crust white guy. You know yeah, I mean? them going through their, yeah, anyway. their life and their education. And like every little thing, what you eat, when you get sick, all that has literary significance. Kind of, she making fun of what we were just talking about with contemporary lit fic. Yeah. You know. it, this, I got a quote, this the same character, Briggs. Um, Briggs had hoped for assignments in the field of sports, but the editor felt that literary training and education were required for that, whereas art was a department where inexperience and ignorance would not be noticed. Pretty good. You can say whatever you want about art and people take you about an expert because ultimately nobody knows anything when it comes (laughs) to art. More social, cultural thing. Yeah. I think that's what she's getting at. Pretty funny. Uh, da, 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 da. God knows Oki has always been the dumbest man on earth, but at least I gave him credit for knowing it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I don't think I've read a book recently where there's so much I just wanted to underline. Every page, like I. As like comedic or like a smart, like a smart observation or perception of people. It's just. Or just, oh man, I never thought of it that way. And you're or just. just- or just prose that's just like, oh man, that's yeah. so good. The opening, that first few pages, it's totally different than what the book would become. Yes. I'm, I'm actually not sure what, but just the, the beginning few page, like that sort of description of the time. Yeah. That it, you know, it was a time of it. Read, you think like, is this going to be like a sci-fi dystopian? Uh, so the book starts and she basically says like, this is what this author is writing as he's in the cafe, Julian, this um, it's yeah. Dennis orphan. And I, this, this is like on page four 
Citizens harassed by the internal revenue hounds jumped out of windows for the want of $40. Families on relief bought bigger television sets to match the new time-bought furniture. The friendly loan agent, the smiling banker, the laughing financial aid lurked in dark alleys to terrorize the innocent. Babysitters received a dollar an hour with torture concessions. Universities di dynamited acres of historic mansions and playgrounds to build halls for teaching history and child psychology and it goes on for like a couple pages and i was that's when i was like whoa what's whoa. Going on? yeah yeah what's this is good i know this is a this is a character in the book's writing but yeah it's a it's a in my opinion it's a flex by don powell she goes mm -hmm. you know there's yeah uh, she's just She's writing the crap out of this. <laughs> Here's the last few lines of that opening sequence. The shadow that lay over the land was growing mightily and no one escaped it. As in countries ruled by the Gestapo or the guillotine, one must only whisper truths, bribe or be bribed, ask no questions, give no answers, police or be policed, run in fear and silence ahead of the shadow. I wrote, and then he goes into the comedy. Yeah, I wrote. Stuff. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So she's giving you a hit like I could depress the crap out of you and write this like quote unquote serious novel, I guess. Cuz I mean this this voice that doesn't come easily. That's a, it's a long passage. It's like 3 or 4 pages. Yeah. And it kind of ends too. She ends it with this the the writer character kind of you're reading his writing about the Cafe Julian uh, closing down and being destroyed. Yeah, that's and it's weird because it ends with like this 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 writing, this prose that's so kind of like you know a college professor would dream of writing these sent like this this prose, and she's just kind of like you know I'm showing off I can do it, but I want to write a, a book different than that. I want some comedy. Yeah, I want some yeah. absurdity. I want some, I don't know, you know, some human, actual human characters that you can believe in. But I, I don't know. I, I noticed that too. And I was like, yeah, what am I? Cause I, I was like, this isn't, this isn't like a funny book. Like what? Well, this is what you read like a, it'd be like, I, you know what I think it is now? It's a, uh, it's all satire. And those mm. pages is like, this is going to be a dystopian political satire, like 1984 or something. And then she switches to her Petronian satire. But yeah, it was a very good opening. Very good. It, but yeah, it just, I don't know. It, it highlights me how good of a writer, because she switches. That's That tone in what we read isn't that, that seriousness and that sort of social critique of the times. I mean. There's not really the rest of the book. Not the rest of the book, but it it's an out, like, she can do it. Yeah. And it's, oh man, yeah. yeah. I'm jealous of how good of a writer she is. She's mm -hmm. like a wish, yeah. Yeah. And also I saw, um, one, one critic goes, a writer like this deserves more than rediscovery. She deserves readers, lots of them. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Um, this, is... this is, I mean, it's a bohemian 1950s New York novel, so I, I don't know if that's niche, like, oh, if you don't like this kind of... But it's not specific it's, to New York. Yeah. It, you know, it's people. Yeah. 
people you enjoy it where it's about people there's i mean it is sort of some of the descriptions of uh, some of the reviews are like oh this is a brilliant portrayal of you know the new york city at this time and it is it is but the people the characters in it i don't think it's one of those things like if you only um let's say you know we're reading like a crime novel about uh, let's say i don't know boston or something this the the author's really good at writing this stuff you would say like i have no like these characters are kind of distant to me i can still enjoy it and like it i never felt like these these were like distant new york characters Um, because she she hones in on who they are as people she really gets at their motivations in ways that i think a lot of writers can't because it's funny too because if you think about it you know like the new york novel or whatever any big city, LA, whatever, most of the people are not, I would say a lot of people move there from some small town or some city that's not, you know, Kansas City. Someone moves from Kansas City to New York City. So you have these people from a, with a past that move into this sort of huge, yeah. it, it, and They're I wonder. In some way or another. Yeah. Be something and yeah. So it's not distinctly just like a New York novel. These aren't New York people. These are people who have come to one place. It all comes together, yeah. John Powell is from Ohio. Yes. She has the she has Ohio novels too, so described as. Well, yeah, they split up the New York and the Ohio. There's one called My Home is Far Away, which is very good. You would like you would like that. It sounds sad. I like that. No, it's 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 good. You can tell it's her, but it's it's about her life growing up is yeah um has anyone else where you've you've pushed on pal onto me and i've i've said no fantastic i love it it's for me one of the top books i've read this year it's i can't imagine it not being top five books I've, i'll read this year um since we've been doing the podcast it's probably my second favorite book after uh, the county of monte cristo um that's how much i don't know i just enjoyed that it was just i don't know it gave me sometimes when i'm reading a really good book um or like the writing is my style of writing and in in just the observations and everything's just perfect for me i kind of almost smile to myself and i'm like oh man <laughs> and i almost want to slow down i just i don't want to rush through it i don't want to like okay once the sentence this is going to kind of suck so that was the experience for me um, and i would be bummed if i told someone to read this and they'd be like that's eh, no, fine yeah i don't like it yeah and then i'd be like oh man stabbed in my, in my heart um well, her, it's nice knowing that there's more yep there's i think it's like 16 and she has some plays and her diaries are fun too just those types of observations. This is kind of like a no. It's not kind. It's not really a play, but um, just the, the sort of set pieces and the dialogue. I could sort of see being translated into a more of a play than a, a movie. But I can see a movie made out of this. Yeah, yeah. I think kind you of. Play or a movie, but one of those like one of those uh, movies where there's a lot of talking a voiceover you don't like those ones like not no 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 just a lot of dialogue dialogue intensive like who's uh i don't know 
Matt Tarantino, Jim Sork- Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, I don't want him anywhere near this material. But yeah, yeah, something like like that dialogue intensive, like old black and white style, like old Cary Grant movie. There's just lots of snappy dialogue and set pieces. Yeah, yeah, I might say play more than movie. Although I, I'm sure you could pare it down and do a good rock opera. Oh, yeah. Who was, uh, let's go, favorite character? Most interesting. Mm, Jerry or Elsie, probably. Yeah, I think they were pretty funny. Just their dynamic was the most, like, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that, yeah. sort of the motivations with them. You go into the, that scene thinking, oh, they're friends. You know, like, just these two ladies who are friends. And then you kind of get into it, and you're like, oh, they kind of, here's why they hang out. They've they kind of pushed away a lot of people, and they're kind of stuck with each other. Over. Yeah. Yeah, Elsie, so here's a, this is actually a quote from, from the two of them, when things start to fall apart. Uh, this is from Jerry's perspective. She wants me to drink with her, so I'll blubber out, a, uh, out more troubles and it'll cheer her up, Jerry thought. She knew Elsie loved her best when she played her cards badly, and any other time she would have humored her by reporting a whole book of errors, the way pretty women mollify their enemies by stories of childhood freckles and miseries. You know, like I have one more uh, quote passage I wanted to read that I thought was smart. So there's the the kind of dazzle the artist, and he has there's Marius Dazzle and Ben. There's kind of this trio, um, and Ben or Dazzle are getting together, and they don't know kind of that Marius is still alive. Um, and then this is how she describes sort of the ending. It's near the end of the book. She goes, their disappointment in each other was the familiar discovery of age. The old friend of his youth has failed him because he fails to give him back his youth. Yeah. I thought that was very smart. Like they, they, they meet up again and they don't exactly click. And there's just some misunderstanding about, you know, what they should do. And, and then that was very smart. Like they, the reason why they're disappointing each other is, they want to be young again and this didn't read this you can't do that you know and neither of them are the same person yeah and that's i mean that's something that it's kind of universal like you know let's say you go to your high school reunion your 20-year high school reunion you're gonna have in your mind some sort of like okay we're gonna we're gonna you know relight the past and stuff and then it's not that and you're maybe Mm -hmm. disappointed so i thought that was like that's a universal or maybe not universal, but that's a that's not a New York thing. That's a but it's an observation. It's something that happens in human relationships. Yes, it's something that she picked up on, you know. Versus, you could do some heavy-handed moralizing about it, you know, and just you know, oh, it was wrong for you to, you know, to forge your your dead friend's artwork. Don't you feel guilty for that, or just whatever it is, nervous hand wringing, or just present here's here's these people and here's them doing what they do mm-hmm. and you'll notice little insights like that you know little human truths and because we're all the same species they'll seem or they can be universal but it's, it's what fiction sh- should be yeah and you know as complaining about most modern fiction not being that i don't know if it, it, much of fiction in general i think it's it might be kind of rare to it's hard to do it's very hard to do i feel like you can have people can have little observations like that, but to weave it into a three hundred page novel, to have every page full of 
insights or humorous like stories or good lines, snappy stuff. It's hard to put. Put. It's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. The more you read, the kind of sometimes the your standout favorite books. You might read a lot of good books. You might like, and I've read some good books this year. But sometimes you read a book where it's it hits a specific register with you, and you're like, oh, okay. This is yeah. this is what I love. This isn't what I like. Really, I like a lot and all this kind of. This is what I love. This is the kind of writing. This is the kind of characters that I think are great. So it yeah, was. Uh, it I can't recommend it highly enough. Yep. Yeah. Very strongly recommend the Wicked Pavilion. Uh, you can find a paperback copy, either uh, a standalone or a collection, like a one of those hardcover black library of america editions with four yeah. novels i think you have one that's four novels and this yeah, is one sure. of them yeah. so i would definitely go out and pick this up if you see it um where we live we don't really see her books and use bookstores i would say i had to buy my new um but if you ever see one at a, a used bookstore or library book sale pick it up pick i would say i don't know this um, in the uh, James Mustage thousand books, she go, he goes, she never wrote a bad novel. Some of them are great, but she never wrote like a bad novel. So I don't know. I don't think you can go wrong. And if you do, uh, we're not friends. So <laughs> no, you won't. You won't go wrong. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fun to talk about a book that we both uh, both loved. So and we'll we'll try to get someone else to read her. Mm-hmm. You got yeah. me, you got me, and we've spoken very highly of her. So hopefully, um, if you're listening to this, check her out, find what, you know, seek her out and read at the Wicked Pavilion. She has Locusts Have No King, uh, mm-hmm. The Golden Spur, A Time to Be Born. Like Matt said, there's 16 of them. There's the, there's sort of like New York, Ohio ones. So there's a different setting and stuff like that. So, but they're all they're consistently funny. Um, the ones I've read have been kind of like this, just rich mm-hmm. and dense. Yeah, yeah. Right. You're saying one of those ones you just you start reading and you're like, oh man, this is very yeah. good. I, mean, yeah. I read the Gore Vidal essay way back in the day. I was like, yeah, oh, maybe he's just exaggerating or doing an old friend a favor, because he he was a young up and coming writer in this New York milieu when she was kind of a, a wise old lady mm-hmm. and they kind of got along. But yeah. on the strength of his recommendation, I went and bought this Library of America edition and I was like, oh, no, he's right. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's right. He's but right. yeah, that's, she should not be, she's, she's kind of bounced back from, you know, at, at the time of her death when she was, you know, like I said, she's almost out of print. But mm-hmm. um, I think she should be more People should read her more. When uh, people mention, you mention this era to people, I think most would say Hemingway or Fitzgerald. Yes. She deserves to be the face of this era. You, as far as just the best of what a generation of writers can produce. I, for me, like yeah. she's the one. No, she's be at the top of that list. Who's the 40s, 50s, 60s? Like who's the best writer of that era? And then you, I mean, this is like during the era when the kind of the, the titans of American literature, all these guys, these like old, you know, um, 
and there's not like, I'll tell you that like I've said this many times on this podcast. She is, she is so good at writing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's just, oh man. So better writer than Hemingway. She's very good. Yeah, very. There's only so much we can say to just go. I know. I know. We're just gushing. We're like, she's awesome. It was just an awesome reading experience. So uh, hopefully uh, people check her out. And if we can just have a small impact on people reading her, I would be happy. So trying to do our part. Your part. And I would say, uh, you know, not maybe not in the near future, but at some point we'll read another Don Powell book. Oh yeah, we definitely will. For yeah, for this, my life. I'm gonna finish all her stuff. She's one. She's worth reading the whole thing. Yeah. So Matt, um, let's see here. Uh, upcoming schedule for uh, us. We read our. I finished. I don't know if, how close you are to finishing. Uh, the Catcher in the Rye. Right. Uh, a very, very famous book. And we will be discussing that on episode uh, coming up. We're also plowing through Lonesome Dove. And we picked uh, our August book, book which is uh, Royal Flash. Uh, another in the Flashman series by George McDonald Fraser. So we were going to be meeting up with our old friend there and going on the adventures and meeting Otto Van Bismarck and such. So mm-hmm. what do we have, do we have another book that we're missing? Those are the three kind of upcoming books. Confederacy of Dunces. Confederacy of Dunces. Yes. The one I'm, I'm almost done with. So we have four. So um, the order of those will probably be um, Kitcher in the Rye, I would think. Confederacy. Confederacy of Dunces. And then and at some point, Lonesome Dove and then Royal Flash. So that's kind of the schedule uh, for us and sort of the episodes coming up on the podcast. We also have a Patreon, which we're planning episodes, poetry episodes, sports episodes, movie episodes. Um, I have to watch Jaws talk about it because i have not watched jaws so uh that's sort of our outlet for books and other things um, so to speak we're also on all the cool social media platforms twitter instagram all those cool things you can see us post there all the time interact with us let us know what you're reading what your thoughts are what we're reading and uh always give us feedback um did i miss anything matt no, that's a pretty good rundown of the whole situation. Sounded professional, kind of, almost. Yeah. Almost, almost. Uh, so until next time, thanks for listening.